Hi guys and welcome back to the Female Fitness Podcast. I am your host Danny, and today I'm joined with Emma Story Gordon who you guys may know as ESG Fitness on Instagram. We are going to talk through female fat loss today. Emma would you like to briefly introduce yourself and explain a little bit about what you do? Okay hello thank you for having me. I am Emma Story Gordon. I am a fat loss coach or body composition coach um also more this sort of more holistic side of like lifestyle and really focusing on education to make sure people understand what they're doing and why they're doing it so it's not just another fad like like most people can stick to a meal plan for x amount of time but at some point that's going to get boring so if you teach people as they go so it's like applied fat loss education then they can keep those results for life. So that is sort of what I do. I work primarily online and yeah, cool. that's me. So, so you guys let know, one of the reasons I got Emma on this podcast to cover female fat loss is because she, she knows what she's talking about. She's evidence-based and she's very good at putting things in a way that is very understandable, but also includes all of the information that you need and that is very useful for you guys to take away. Um, so to start with, Emma, what actually is fat loss and how does it occur? Okay, this is a really good question. And I actually think we throw around things like, you just need to be in a calorie deficit and expect everyone knows what, what a calorie deficit is. So for fat loss to occur, Fat is just an energy store. So it's how we store energy. And if you want to lose that fat, you need to put your body in a position where it needs to use stored energy for fuel. So by doing that, to create that situation, you need to eat less calories than you expend so that your body is forced to use fat as fuel and thus you lose body fat. Um, and that's, that's kind of the simple process of it. Yeah, cool. So you mentioned this calorie deficit and it's a term like you said that's thrown around really often by people in the fitness industry that always saying you know you just need to create a calorie deficit to succeed with fat loss so how would we go about creating this calorie deficit yeah that's really interesting so i think anyone can say it's just a calorie deficit and if you ask even if you ask a child like how would you lose weight and they're like eat less move more like people understand that concept but the hard part is doing that and applying it to your life. And that is kind of the art of coaching as well. Like if you're really good at helping people create that calorie deficit so that they can lose body fat, that's going to make you a good coach. So part of it's very individual, Yeah. but some yeah. sort of basics so that you should be focusing on habits, on eating behaviors, on potentially food choices, um, patterns around eating, eating slower is a huge one that people sort of forget or don't think about. So the speed at which you eat is linked to your BMI. So the faster you eat, usually the higher your BMI is. So taking your time over food, not eating on the go, not eating in front of t the TV, those are all sort of common mistakes that people make. But there are loads of things you can do to create a calorie deficit. The basics of it is that you have to somehow eat less and or move more and i would say a combination of the two is going to be better so increasing your activity levels and that doesn't just mean going to the gym more often that means walking more often getting steps in maybe going for a cycle being more active throughout your day yeah and i think you made a really good point there it's about changing your behaviors and sort of creating new habits and maybe getting rid of some old habits that you might have had, which have got you to where you are. And if you do that, it can make the process a lot more, a lot easier as well, because you're not drastically overhauling your entire life. You're just making small changes to create that calorie deficit essentially. Yeah. And I think if you're in the position of like maybe never having dieted before, or even if you have some quite like poor behaviors, that swapping a few things can make huge changes. So even if, if you're someone who uses a lot of condiments and maybe you swap some out for spices or you swap some out for the, like, instead of having full fat mayo, you have half fat mayo. Yeah. But if you have that with most of your meals and then you swap full fat Coke for diet Coke, that can create your calorie deficit. Maybe walk for, I don't know, 30 minutes in the day as well. That's all it takes. And I think people really overcomplicate it and I think when you're starting from a place of maybe being very overweight 
in a way it's good because you can make these really simple changes and get big results. Um, but I think the often the fitness industry give out the perception that it's like, okay, but you need to hit 12,000 steps a day. You need to eat all clean foods and you need to go to the gym every single night. And that's actually like really daunting and probably quite off putting when you're first starting. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree. And these small changes can, like you said, make such a big difference and they don't make such a big difference to how you feel in regards to hunger, etc. If you're just making those little swaps, so it can just mm-hmm. make the process so much easier. Um, and how would you go about initially calculating someone's initial like fat loss calories to get them into a deficit? Okay, so this is something else that people get really hung up on. So at the moment, I think there's a really big trend probably because of Fitbits and Apple Watches to get numbers exactly right. So they're like, okay, this is how many calories I've burnt today. This is how many calories I've burnt doing exercise. And this is how many calories I've burnt doing activity. And they're so fixated on these numbers. And I completely understand it's nice to have numbers, but they're not particularly accurate. So what I would do is I would go to like Google, just put in total daily energy expenditure calculator, put in your stats. So it normally asks your height, your weight, your gender, and then an activity level. And obviously this is an estimate as well. So you're going to estimate your total daily energy expenditure. That calculation will do that for you. It's usually a Harris-Benedict equation, which is quite good. And, and that gives you a starting point. So let's say your total daily energy expenditure is 2000 calories. Those are the calories you need to eat every day to maintain your weight. Now, if you want to lose weight from that, you might drop I think the standard is sort of, well, actually the standard is usually 500 calories, which is quite arbitrary. So I like to use 20%, but with some people it might only be 10%. And with some people it might be a a bit more than that. So I might put them in quite a big deficit because I think they can handle it or because they're very overweight. They're very enthusiastic. I'm not going to obviously over restrict them, but sometimes those equations can mean that you know, if if you're someone who's very overweight and weighs a lot, you might still be eating 2000 calories to diet. Now on one side, that might be good because it's like we were talking about before. It's just small changes that would need to be made. But on the other side, what's really motivating is losing weight is seeing your results work. So I might put you in a slightly bigger deficit. Now remember that fat is energy. So you're not going to starve. In fact, there's, and I would definitely not recommend this, but there's a really interesting study about a man who didn't eat for a whole year and I think he was just given like vitamins and a few other things so he wasn't deficient in certain things but he just stopped eating for the whole year now he was fine and I think that just sort of proves like he was very overweight and if you if you've got that that's an energy store so it can be used and the body will use it now obviously we're not recommending that but I know that some people are quite scared of low calories because they think that they'll starve or they'll go into this starvation mode but that's not the case yeah and that actually i think it's really important that you pointed out how everyone's different and everyone can handle different amounts of a calorie like quantities of a calorie deficit and it completely depends on your starting point how aggressive that deficit might be and what's appropriate for you as an individual um and like you said there isn't there isn't actually negative effects to putting yourself in, a, in an aggressive deficit if you can handle it and mm. if you've got a lot of body fat to start with. And you mentioned starvation mode. So a lot of people will have heard that term thrown around. Where did that come from? And does it exist to any extent? Is there any truth in that? Okay, so just to touch on that, like fast versus slow fat loss as well, because I think that's a really interesting point you made that Some people can handle a bigger deficit and there are pros and cons to both approaches. Now, even if you're looking at say like the other extreme, like prep for a bikini show or something, you could go really quite an aggressive deficit and you would get leaner quicker. Now the negative side of that is some people will say that you'll lose more, more muscle mass because you're in this aggressive diet, but you're also in that calorie deficit phase for less time so you're in a catabolic state for less time whereas you take it slower okay maybe you could claim that you wouldn't lose as much muscle mass but equally do we really know that because actually you're in a catabolic state for a longer period of time now it's to a lesser extent but it's still that longer period 
So there are pros and cons to both. And some people will be like, no, there's no way I could restrict that much because like I just need to do it at a slower rate. Absolutely fine. But then there will be some people who are motivated the other way and they'll say, there's absolutely no chance I'm dieting for 16 weeks. I want to do it in eight, but I'm happy to do an aggressive diet. As long as you're actually sort of teaching them along the way, making sure they know that they're not sticking to 1500 calories and 12,000 steps forever, but, and, and then also having a plan for after. I think we come onto that later with maintenance and things, but yeah. And um, you made a really good point there in how, um, again, it's individual and some people will find if they're in a really aggressive deficit, they see a lot, a lot of negative effects in terms of their ability to perform during training sessions and things like that, which that is something which will influence someone's ability to retain muscle tissue through a deficit. So if you find you're one of those people who actually you notice a lot of the negative effects of being in a deficit, it really hits you hard. You struggle with your motivation to train and you see your training performance suffer, then you might be better off taking a less aggressive approach. Um, Mm -hmm. But like you said, some people are super motivated and they can handle that aggressive deficit. Yeah. And I guess it just shows that your motivation varies between each. So again, with the really aggressive diet, you're probably going to see results like week on week, like pretty significant drops in weight. Now with a slower approach, we know that fat loss over a week in like a modest deficit can easily be masked by like water retention, food volume, so many things. Cause it's a very small amount of weight that you're going to lose every week or more to the point, it's a very small amount of fat that you're going to lose every week, which may not be large enough to see on the scales. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's completely up to the individual really, but, I certainly it has to be done in the right way because otherwise it's just another like six week crash diet yeah definitely and like you said there has to be an action plan for afterwards and it has to be known that it's a short-term thing if you're going to take that aggressive approach um so on to the starvation mode question is there any sort of truth in that or is it something that is completely like made up and does it exist Okay, so the idea behind starvation mode is that if you restrict yourself and you're in a large calorie deficit, your body will sort of turn into this quote unquote starvation mode, which means that it will it will want to store as much calories as possible and almost like I don't know, you could store calories that aren't there. So despite being in a deficit, you're gonna store calories. That doesn't happen. What does happen is slight metabolic adaptations which we can come on to but normally what happens with when someone's in this starvation mode is that they have dropped their calories too low and the reason that they've stopped losing weight is because they can't adhere to those calories and and that's normally what's happening or they are moving slightly less because they're in such a big deficit and that's sort of more the side of metabolic adaptation but it's not it's not like a scary thing and i think a lot of people worry about going low calories because of starvation mode The other thing that I hear a lot of coaches say is like, if you throw all the tools of the toolbox in at once, like what are you going to do when you plateau? And this is something like even quite good coaches now still sort of have the notion of, and I can see to some extent where they're coming from, but by that, I mean like they might say, Oh, don't, don't put someone in a, in a big calorie deficit. Let's say they're on 1500 calories doing 12,000 steps and training six days a week okay, well, what are you going to do when they stagnate, when when they plateau in their weight loss? And the answer is, if they stick to that, they won't. Like, you you might not ever need to lower your calories if you start at a very low calorie point. Now, if you were on that modest deficit that we were talking about, what might happen is that because you've lost a lot of weight, your basal metabolic rate is dropping, which means that you might not be in as big a deficit or a deficit at all, so we would have to lower your calories. But people forget that it's not just a random amount of time and you'll stop like oh every two weeks we need to lower your calories or every six weeks if you're in a big deficit you will reach your desired body composition and then you can come out of that deficit without ever having to lower it yeah definitely and I think that is like you said a really common misconception people think that um whatever calories you put them on they're going to like adapt the same amount and you're going to have to move past that whatever happens but like you said it just it means that if you enter a bigger deficit as long as you can sustain it and your reporting is accurate and your your energy expenditure doesn't drop then 
you will actually have to make less adjustments and the person who started on higher calories will probably end up where where you started if that makes sense in a more aggressive deficit so yeah and I think I get I guess it's interesting because you must get this all the time as well but someone will come to you and they'll say I'm on 1200 calories a day I hit 15,000 steps a day and I'm not losing weight and then they might come and start working with me and I put their calories up, I reduce their energy expenditure and they're like, you fixed my metabolism. And I haven't, I've just given you something you can actually adhere to. And there's absolutely no shame and nothing wrong with saying that deficit's too big for me and I can't stick to it. Or I can't fit in 15,000 steps a day. Or I don't know, is it, you, you don't have to stick to these really aggressive things if they're not going to work for you, but you do need to find something you can stick to. Um, and I think that is part of where the misconception comes from, that when you do put calories really low, what tends to happen is you can't stick to them. Then people think they're in this starvation mode because yeah. they are, they, I mean, I would say they're maybe sticking to 1200 calories all week and then a bit of a blowout at the weekend. And that's the worst cycle to be in because you're working so hard during the week, putting so much effort in, so much time in, prepping all your food. And then it's just like, it's like heartbreaking to see someone kind of, negate that whole deficit on the weekend by overeating because they've restricted so much on in the week yeah and like you said it's there's no shame in admitting that you can't adhere to a certain deficit and it's really important so that you and your coach can come up with a protocol which is appropriate for you and which you can adhere to and it's been shown in research time and time again that people always well very often under report their calorie intake even people that are professionals so that's mm. you know it's just backing up the fact there's no shame in it whatsoever yeah i think so even dietitians like you were saying find it really hard to accurately track and there's one really interesting study that shows that at the, it was at the start of the diet they were in a 500 calorie deficit and they were asked to track that deficit and they were pretty much on point so they were doing pretty well on their tracking now I think it was 12 months into the diet 12 months or 12 weeks 12 months I think so anyway yeah it was 12 months so a year later they track that same deficit but the deficit is now actually only 80 calories so that's a huge variation obviously and just what happens is like oh you forget to you forget you have five cups of tea a day and you always put some milk in it 50 calories there you forget that actually some of your vitamins and minerals that you take have a couple of calories in so and, and actually sometimes quite a lot so if you're taking fish oils and things maybe there's 50 calories there you're not tracking your condiments anymore, 100 calories there. Little things or your portion sizes slightly increase over time. And then you can completely, you can be trying your hardest, but then you're not really getting results. And again, that's where people resonate with that idea of starvation mode because they're like, yes, that is what's happening to me. So it's really interesting. Yeah, and I think um, part of the reason it's sort of, it's it's so well known is that as well when this happens and some coaches will take on a client for example say they've been put on really low calories they may be struggling with their adherence and they're not making any fat loss progress and then this new coach will increase their calories and decrease their expenditure targets and they'll lose more weight and they'll claim that that is some sort of magic and that is yeah. where the problem occurs because then everyone believes oh you know like like you said they fixed their metabolism when in reality that's not what's happened yeah and then it doesn't help that like cocky male coaches tends to be male there are obviously some females that do this that will be like yeah this is what i do i fix people's metabolisms so just sign up to my online coaching yeah it's the shame it yeah. should be more transparent exactly but then in a way sometimes i think at least initially just saying like okay just trust me on this yeah eat this much move this much whatever because there's some magic in that that they're just trusting you and they think it's going to work because they they have got like faith in you that's why they've chosen to work with you and they think that you can do something magic now if you just said to them oh you're just not adhering to it and actually we just need to up your calories so you can adhere to something there's kind of like i don't know if it has the same it's almost like a placebo effect isn't it yeah 
Yeah, I think that's a good point. And trust is so important in a coach-client relationship so that they, they buy into what you're telling them to do and they actually adhere to that. So yeah, I do, I do agree to some extent in that. I think the problem is when they, I don't know, maybe post a transformation and the coach says, look, this is what happened. I fixed their metabolism. It was this process. It was like a magic process or whatever. That's where maybe the problem occurs. It's not that initial, like, you know, trust me, it's okay. You're going to drop body fat as a result of this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so are macros important as well as calories when you are adhering to a calorie deficit? Okay, this is quite a good one because yes and no. I like to give my clients as much flexibility as possible. So they normally are set a protein target and a calorie target and we don't worry about fats and carbs. I encourage them not to go too far either way. I also encourage them if they're not vegetarian or vegan to have oily fish a couple of times a week and obviously to get in, like I always say, six fruit and veg a day minimum. Um and that's sort of all the structure that you would need. Things might change a little bit if you are an endurance athlete and we might want to push more towards, towards carbohydrates. Again, that might also be when your timings become a little bit more important. Whereas if you're like a body composition, I just want to lose a bit of fat. I want to feel good about myself. That would just really, the focus is going to be really on protein and calories and then having a mix of the two. It, it allows you a lot of variation as well. I think if you're trying to stick to your calories, but also hit a protein target, carbohydrate target, and a fat target, that's really hard. And once you nail it for one day, because I would do this, I would just eat the same thing every day. Because, I mean, they say it's flexible dieting, but that isn't particularly flexible. Yeah. And I think going to flexible dieting as well, you, you often get two ends of the spectrum. You get people who like take the piss or you get people who literally like basically follow a meal plan. Um, but yeah, you're so right. In they that, know their macros as well. Yeah, exactly. But you're so right in saying that, you know, there is, there is a spectrum to it. And when it gets to sort of getting every percentage you can of like improvement when it comes to training performance or body composition then you know if you're an elite athlete you're probably gonna pay attention to your individual macronutrients but if you're a general population fat loss client your what that approach you just explained is perfect mm -hmm. yeah and i and it gives people a lot of autonomy as well and sometimes i'll give out like what i call a skeleton plan so it tends to be 1200 calories definitely not all that they're eating but that make gets them to hit everything so if you're this is what i find a lot if someone has never tracked before and you're just like cool here's your calorie target here's your protein target see you at the check-in they're like what the hell like what how am i meant to turn this into food like also because a lot of people get confused with this as well they're like yeah i had 100 grams of protein and what they mean is they had 100 grams of chicken yeah not the same thing but they're like oh but chicken's protein so yeah there's little things that at the start that's a really hard thing to get your head around so i give them either just example meal plans of their total calorie needs or what i like to do because it's a bit of an in-between is a skeleton meal plan which i know will get them enough protein fruit and veg some whole grains and depending on if they're like some source of good fat depending if they're vegan or vegetarian or, or meat eaters or whatever then on top of that so let's say their calorie target is 1600 calories on top of that, they have 400 calories to play with. They can either bulk out those meals or they can have a bit of chocolate or they can, you know, use it for cups of teas throughout the day. They can do whatever they want with that. So they're getting a little bit of flexible dieting, but they still have that structure to start with. Because, yeah, I think it's a really tough thing when you first start. It takes a while to get your head around tracking. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's a really good approach to take with clients, especially general population clients. Um, I think where, where it potentially becomes more important to pay attention to things like your carbs and fats target, um, as well as, like I said, if you're trying to eke out every percentage in terms of results, is also people who are dieting to maybe an extreme level of condition, like a body composition client who is dieting to get to the stage then it can become so much easier to not get enough fat in for health or yeah. 
you know, things like that. So there, it may be useful to say, you know, you need to hit this, this quantity of fat to make sure that you are looking, looking after yourself in regards to health. Whereas yeah, general population clients, yeah. they're not going to have that issue. Yeah. Cause they've got, and, and also brilliant point is that the lower your calories get, the smarter you have to be with your food choices, not just so food volume for hunger, but also trying to still get in enough fruit and veg, enough fat, like you were saying, that's quite hard. So I can understand why for prep clients, like closer to competitions, like there's two benefits to meal plans is that one, your, your coach is making sure that you're getting in all the nutrients that you need. And two, like you probably just want someone else to do it at that stage. Like you don't want to be making your own meal plan or, or even I talk about this quite a lot that 98% is harder than a hundred percent. And by that, I mean, if you're like, okay, I've got these calories for the day, every single meal, you're like, oh, I could have a little bit more, but that would mean I would need to cut back. Or if I had this, then I could have that. Or if I don't eat now, then there's so many decisions being made throughout the day. Constantly, every time you eat, you're thinking about that decision. Whereas even if you made your own meal plan, you make your own meal plan before, you know, that's what you're doing during the day. And when I say hundred percent, I mean, that is what you're doing end of you don't need to think about that anymore. And a really good example of that is when someone, say you're a vegan and people are always like, I just don't know how you do it. Like there's so many nice, like I always want a sausage roll or whatever it is. But the thing is they don't make that choice every single day or every single time they eat. They've potentially made that choice once, maybe five years ago when they started being vegan. And that's it. Like they just chose that. It's done. It's a hundred percent. So I think that is another psychological side where flexible dieting can be quite hard because you have so much choice. Yeah, definitely. And I think that comes back to like you, you were saying you give the skeleton meal plan or an example structure and that's where that can come in handy alongside just saying, look, here are your calories, here's your protein, go away and hit that because it just gives Mm -hmm. a bit more structure and accountability and even inspiration because some people just feel a bit lost when they look at their calories um, yeah like it, I think it's always breakfast isn't it yeah what do you have for breakfast they're like all I can think of is eggs that have protein in so yeah giving them a few options that's the other good thing about group coaching as well is that you know I only have so many breakfast ideas and yeah. you can just post a post up and you get loads of ideas from that so that's good yeah, definitely. Um, so over to cardio, we've spoken a little bit about monitoring nutrition to create a deficit. Obviously, cardio comes into that as well. Is there a certain type of cardio which is more beneficial for fat loss? Um, I, For fat loss, honestly, probably longer, slower duration cardio. Now, the reason I'm like sort of umming and ahhing is that you don't necessarily need to do cardio. You could increase your NEAT, so your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, basically how much you move during the day. But there's a line where, I don't know why people sort of argue about this, but they're like, well, if you're going out for a walk, isn't that cardio? And it's like, well, is it, is it exercise or is it activity? And it doesn't matter, right? It's, you're burning calories doing it. But the reason that I say about NEAT is that you can sort of fit it in with your day more. So instead of thinking, right, I need to go to the gym to do an hour's walk on the treadmill. You could say, right, I'm going to go do my weekly shop walking and then carry it all back. That will burn a hell of a lot of calories. Um, but you, what I mean is you can kind of fit it into your day a little bit easier and potentially like I would not be about going to the gym just to do cardio. That's not really my game. But equally, I do know that if I was maybe prepping for a show, I probably would do something like that. Yeah. But it, I think to sort of pass the time as well another good thing about lower intensity cardio is one you can do it for longer but two you can probably reply to messages or listen to a podcast and it's not you don't need to be amped up to do it and it's quite relaxing almost gives you a bit of headspace so there are benefits to low intensity cardio there are benefits to high intensity interval training but it's a lot more on your body it's quite tiring it's quite fatiguing Um, you probably can do it every day and it also tends not to burn as many calories during the exercise now there's something called epoc which is excess post 
excess post-exercise oxygen consumption. Basically, while you're doing HIIT training, you are using anaerobic glycolysis or anaerobic metabolism. And that means that you're in this oxygen debt. So anaerobic simply just means without oxygen. So at the end of that, you might feel that you're creating a lot of lactic acid. It's quite painful in your legs. That's because there's not enough oxygen. So after that workout, you will have to replay, like repay that oxygen debt. So that burns slightly more calories after your workout. But people hear that and they're like, oh, what? So if I do hit in the morning, I'm burning more calories throughout the day. And it's like, well, technically, yes. But like the volume of calories that you're burning, I mean, the amount of calories that you're burning, not very much at all. So I still think you would burn more doing a lower intensity cardio. And that's kind of similar to people who do fasted cardio, which again is quite popular. They might read a headline that says, you will burn more fat during fasted cardio. That is true. It doesn't mean you've burnt more calories. So it doesn't mean you're necessarily burning more body fat. It just means that there are less carbohydrates available. So your body's using fat as fuel. But it, at the end of the day, it still comes back to the energy balance equation. So the only way that fasted cardio is potentially a better way to do it is just if it fits in with your life. But I do remember when this was like a really big thing was fasted cardio and I was getting clients were trying to do it even though they couldn't get to the gym in the morning. And I'm like, you can't, you can't fast all day just so you can do fasted cardio after work. It's ridiculous. So yeah, there's nothing particularly special about it, but if it fits in with your life and you want to get up and go for a walk first thing in the morning I think that's a brilliant way to start your day yeah and I think that's a really important point it's about what finding finding what fits your life as opposed to finding the the form of cardio which I don't know even burns the most calories because if it doesn't fit in with your life you're gonna find it so much more difficult to sustain your efforts so Mm -hmm. I think it's so important to find a method of cardio which actually fits in with your life as opposed to trying to search for maybe the most optimal form of cardio yeah so true and also some people there's quite a lot of studies on this and some of them are quite contradictory but that probably means that there's a large variability but some people seem to get hungrier after certain forms of exercise and you might notice that in yourself you might be like okay this is strange but every time I do HIIT training about an hour later I am so hungry and if that's a response you're getting and it makes it harder for you to stick to your calories that day that might not be the best form of exercise for you the other thing that I should have said right at the start is that you don't need to do one form of cardio you could do hit on a Monday and then a couple of days of low intensity cardio and then maybe hit again on a Friday like any good coach will mix up the methods because all of the methods have pros and cons And if you're just sticking to one form of exercise, then you're missing out on some of the potential benefits of another form. Yeah, definitely. And with HIIT, I think that a lot of people can mistake what HIIT actually is. And part of that is like looking at social media. There's a lot of people who post workouts and they say they'll hit their HIIT workouts. And in reality, they're not at the intensity that you should be working during a true hit session so people can sometimes get those forms of cardio confused to some extent as well yeah when you see someone like on instagram live being like i'm just doing a hit workout and it's like you wouldn't be able to breathe if this was like proper hit because it's meant to be maximal exercise and that's another thing it's it takes a lot out of you psychologically to push your body to that limit as well so doing that every day might not be such a good idea in terms of recovery and in terms of your ability to sort of amp yourself up for that yeah and also it can commonly have quite a negative impact on someone's ability to perform during their subsequent resistance training sessions as well and for someone that wants to retain as much muscle tissue as physically possible hit might not be the best option if it's going to have that detrimental effect yeah and I remember when I first started going to the gym and I'd see bodybuilders like obviously lifting a load of weights but then just walking on an incline. And I remember thinking, well, why don't you just run? Like, but now I, I get it. Like I, I would probably do the same. Like if I was prepping for a show, I think I would really obviously really focus on my lifting. And then I do quite low intensity stuff outside of that. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, and people will often, you know, there's a lot of supplements on the market and saying something is a fat loss supplement is a massive sort of attention grabber. Mm. Are there any legitimate fat loss supplements out there in the market? Um, so if they're legal, they probably don't work that well. I will say that. Uh, the only thing that has significant evidence is caffeine. So having either having a coffee or just the caffeine, I think it works in two ways. There's a slight um, suppression of appetite. And I personally think that's more so with coffee. Not sure why it might be the taste or something. And secondly, it slightly increases thermogenesis. So the heat that you produce. But again, that on its own isn't going to have a huge effect on fat loss. It's also potentially beneficial if you, you know, if you're like, oh, I can't be bothered to do this session. Okay, I'm going to have a bit of caffeine. It gets you through the session a bit more. Those are sort of the, the ways that, that it can help. The thing is, and yeah, like, like I said, anything that's going to have huge effects on fat loss isn't legal and yeah. has very severe side effects if taken wrong. So I say caffeine's good. Caffeine can get you going for a session there's as long as you're not stupid with the amount there's not too many side effects and that would probably be my only one do you have any other ones no i agree with that really like you said you know there are some fat loss supplements which work but they are not legal they are banned substances you know if you were to compete with a natural drug tested federation you wouldn't be able to take those supplements and like you said if they are taken incorrectly, they can have very severe side effects. So I think it's really important for people to check what they're taking and be aware that sometimes things might not be what they say on the tin as well. Yeah, yeah. And you don't need any supplements. Exactly. You can get by with like, not even get by, the bulk of your progress is going to be down to your daily habits and, you know, the effort you put into your training and nutrition and supplements are literally just the icing on the cake, whatever you take them for. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people will have heard of keto and it has been through periods of time quite a common diet. So what is keto? Because a lot of people do get this wrong. And is it superior for fat loss in any way? Okay, so the ketogenic diet is a very high fat very low carb and actually quite low protein diet and the reason that protein is low is because that can be converted into carbohydrates as well and what you want is a ketogenic state and that means that carbohydrates are so low that your body uses ketones as fuel instead of carbohydrates um is it better for fat loss no but again it will you will be able to claim so you will burn more fat on keto and that is because you're eating a hell of a lot more fat but people see that headline of, oh my God, I'm burning more fat. Yes, but you're burning more dietary fat, not burning more body fat. So the same rules apply. You would have to be in a deficit to lose weight on keto. The reason that some people get such big results from it is one, because most of us eat, like the Western diet has too much carbs in. That is, that is true. I will stand by that. But to completely take them out, one will put you in huge calorie deficits. That's part of the reason keto works. Even if you replace some of those with fat, you're probably still in a deficit. So it's a huge change to your diet. Two, the diet's probably quite disgusting. If you imagine eating that much fat, you're probably not going to want to eat that much more. It's also very satiating because you've taken out all those carbohydrates. People tend to, if you might hear people that do keto saying things like, I never track calories and, and, you know, and I eat all this food, that's sort of, it's because my body's used to burning fat. That's how I'm lean. But if you actually track their calories, they're in a calorie deficit and that's why they're losing weight. Um, I think the other things about keto diet is, I guess they are kind of using this insulin hypothesis, which is that if you keep insulin low, then you won't store body fat because insulin is a storage hormone. Um, but again, still comes back to energy balance. You still have to eat less. So I guess in a roundabout way, like you would probably be in a deficit if you stuck to the, the macros of a ketogenic diet. But that's how it's working. And if it's optimal, no. Is it long term? Like, would you be able to adhere to that long term, but also have a social life so you can have a bit of cake at your kid's birthday? No. 
So it's, it's a very hard diet to stick to. And the only people I would suggest that did it or do it are people who suffer with epilepsy. And I think there's some other kind of brain slash neuro disorders that might benefit from ketogenic diet. But if that's not you, then there's absolutely no need to do it. Yeah. And I think it's really important to recognize that, like you just said, you know, it's just another way of creating a calorie deficit and that's why it works fundamentally. And for a lot of people, like you said, it wouldn't be sustainable. Most people enjoy eating carbohydrate and a lot of people I think would see some detrimental effect to their training performance as well if they tried it. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting as well, because I think there's a huge aspect of like you will see this like at keto dan at keto emma whatever that will be their instagram handle like they've attached a lot of their beliefs and kind of their self to that and i actually think that's why it's easier to stick to because it's like an identity it's a bit of a culture like they're all in it together they they think they know something that other people don't know they've not discovered this amazing fat loss tool yet and quite similar although maybe shouldn't compare the two but with veganism yeah. like how much easier would it be to stick to a diet if you felt so strongly about animal cruelty and the environment and you really believed that this would make a difference so it's not just oh i want to lose a bit of body fat it's i have really strong beliefs about this way of eating i think yeah. that's part of the magic that you, it's part of your identity it's part of your belief system and thus it's much easier to stick to yeah and also maybe that's part of the reason why a lot of the beliefs around keto are quite convincing or you're you're often made to feel quite you know people are made to feel quite strongly about it that actually follow that diet so it's really they're they're quite open about trying to inflict their opinions on other people if that makes sense yeah yeah it's almost like zealoty yeah 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 and so there are sometimes people will utilize things like refeeds or diet breaks during a fat loss phase. Where would these things have their place and where would an intermittent approach to fat loss be beneficial or is it beneficial? Okay, so really interesting research on this. The, to start with, there's a way of dieting called cyclic dieting where basically you're in a deficit for two weeks then you have two weeks of maintenance calories, then you're in deficit for two weeks and you continue like that. And that has actually been shown to have really good effects and is a much, has been easier for people to adhere to. However, when I've tried it with clients, it's not really worked that well, interestingly. And I don't know if it's the population I work with or I'm not sure, but I think it's quite, I think maybe once you get used to eating it, let's say you're dieting calories of 1500 calories, and then suddenly the next week, you know, the, the, the higher week where you're at maintenance, you still need to track it. You still need to know that you're eating your maintenance calories. Maybe that's 2000. It's not like you can just eat whatever you want and it's a complete diet break. It's, you still need to eat at maintenance. So you don't want to put on weight that week. You just want to be at your um, maintenance calories. And there are a couple of advantages to that and a couple of disadvantages. So like I was saying, it's, I think it's hard to move from 1600 to, I don't know, 2000 and change all the foods that you're eating every two weeks. That could be a bit confusing. And once you're in the zone of, of like eating and you know how to stick to 1500 or 1600 calories, that becomes a little bit easier. Um, the second thing is there are some adaptations that happen when you diet, which we've spoken about briefly, like things like, um, well, I guess they all come from a hormone called leptin. So things like wanting to move less or hunger signals increasing because your body wants more energy, they can be augmented a little bit by cyclic dieting. So that's a potential benefit. Um, when it comes to refeeds, most people will have like i don't even want to say this word but cheat meals so that comes from i guess i think it's quite a bodybuilder saying yeah but anyway we don't say it here on this podcast but cheat meals so that would be like one really high calorie meal and usually it's like a really big burger and basically you eat until you're like beyond full and you're uncomfortable and essentially it's a glorified binge 
yeah that is not helpful and and I think a lot of people like get away with it because they're in a big deficit during the week it's not completely negated that deficit and then they're in a big deficit the next week again I think it has to give it its dues I think it has some psychological benefits but those benefits can be achieved without naming it a cheat meal and without going overboard so one of the problems with naming it cheat meal is that it has negative connotations obviously cheating is a bad thing you're not cheating on your diet it also kind of puts all these rules around what you eat like oh you could only eat that on your cheat day no you can eat it whenever you want and this is how I like to look at diets and this is what I always say to my clients if you want that donut you can have it whenever you want but there are obviously consequences of that so you might say okay I kind of want it or but is that more important to me at the moment given fat loss is my goal no but you could have it and I think that reduces this feeling of restriction like oh as soon as you say I can't have that you want it if you say I can have it but it's not going to help me towards my fat loss goals then you're like "Mm, okay well maybe I'll have it at another time anyway that was kind of off topic what were we talking about um cheat meals or not cheat meals so if you want to get a psychological benefit then having one larger meal a week totally fine maybe it's like date night with your partner but if you want to get a physiological benefit of this then I would say it needs to be about two to three days of at least maintenance calories and ideally those calories coming from carbohydrates and the reason for that is that that's shown to increase leptin levels and leptin is a hormone that basically tells your brain how much energy there is so your leptin comes primarily from your fat cells so when you've got very low levels of leptin the brain can sense that you've not got much energy there and it's going to drive up hunger and it's going to try and make you move less and conserve as much energy as possible so if you can almost reset leptin to a certain extent or at least boost it a little bit when you're in a heavy dieting phase then that's going to be hugely beneficial yeah definitely and i think another another potential benefit is that it sort of like you said it gives you that mental and physical reset and a lot of people will find that they're able to perform a little bit better in their subsequent sessions and they might move more and therefore increase the size of the deficit they're in so it's not like it's um something which is magic it has some physiological benefits but it's not like you're you're losing more some people will say things like or I, I lit their metabolism on fire or something, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> something along those lines. And it's not quite what happens. <laughs> yeah. I remember people telling me that when I was sort of first starting, like, oh yeah, you like reset your metabolism. And it's like, cause you've got all these calories and your body's like, oh, what do I do with it? So yeah, it's not magic. I think there's a huge element that's psychological, but that doesn't mean it's not beneficial. I think that's a huge thing, especially if you're quite deep into dieting and you're thinking oh like when am I next going to be able to have a nice meal with I would rather someone just like went out for dinner thought about their hunger while they were eating ate slowly but enjoyed it and and then didn't sort of turn it into a binge but enjoyed a night out and enjoyed almost I don't really want them to track that like maybe you're like oh I think it was about this fine but I don't want them to sit there being like oh I need to only hit this much and do you know what maybe you eat like not far over your calories that day or maybe you eat quite a lot over but that's sort of the mental reset of it that okay I had a nice meal with my family or with my partner and now I get on with the rest of the diet and I think you come back a bit I'm gonna say hungrier but that's not the right word but a bit like you've got more um, you've got yeah yeah I get completely what you mean you've got more sort of like fire in your belly to keep pushing with fat loss um And again, I think it has, there's huge differences between the approach you would take with someone who is just dieting to a moderate level of lean and someone who's dieting to say contest lean. For someone who's dieting to contest lean and maybe they've been dieting for like 14 weeks already, they might genuinely need the physiological benefits of that two day refeed. But someone who is just dieting to a moderate level of lean, they probably don't really need it to the same extent. And it's not going to have quite the same effects. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so they probably want it more for the social aspect or the psychological benefit. Whereas, yeah, I completely agree. Someone who's getting really lean, they might need it so they can amp their training back up again and get moving a little bit more and just a bit of a boost maybe before they just completely fatigue out. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And so in terms of the menstrual cycle, a lot of women will probably see that their scale weight fluctuates and it peaks when they're due on the cycle. Why does that actually happen? Okay, so around your cycle, many hormones are changing and that can cause water retention. And basically all it is is water retention. And I get a lot of questions like, okay, cool. How can I stop this happening? And the answer is you can't, and nor should you look to do that. The point, the reason that we speak about it so much and the reason that personal trainers explain it is so that you understand that it's not fat, not so that you start worrying about how to reduce this just so you know that okay well maybe it's the it's usually the week before your cycle so maybe the week before my cycle i weigh a little bit more that's absolutely fine but as long as you understand that that's not fat and that it's water retention and that if you have stuck to the plan that week again why it's so important to focus on processes and behaviors as opposed to outcome measures so if if i want to decide a successful week for my client that will be that they've such their calories on average they've hit their average step count they've got in x amount of protein every day and they've trained three or four times a week that's a successful week no matter what the scale says so if you're fit if you can tick all those off that's a big tick if the scale says something else then you just ignore it and i 100 percent understand that that is easier said than done because i don't know about you but i would still if i was dieting be like why is this up when i've stuck to everything so i completely understand it and even though i know the numerous reasons it could be up and knowing that i've stuck to my goals it is still nice to see the scales go down so yeah i can i can see that it's not as easy as what i've just said but that is the mindset you need to take that if you know that you've done everything right that week then that cannot possibly be fat and the scales are probably masking your fat loss with water retention yeah and i think if someone really struggles with that and they really struggle to see that increase it might be best just for them to stop weighing themselves when they know they're going to get that increase so that they don't have yeah. to deal with that process of trying to deal with it psychologically yeah it's interesting because i there's a quite a distinct thing that i see with clients like on the one side i have clients who maybe would need that break because even though i've explained it to them and they sort of understand why it might be higher it ruins their day and then i've got other clients who are like i'm going to weigh myself every single day so that i can see the fluctuations and once they see how much it fluctuates throughout the week they're like huh that's interesting like oh it can't possibly be body fat because i've sucked everything and they sort of get that rational view of it so yeah, I think some people weighing every day and they'll weigh a little bit more one day and it will ruin their day. And other people, it's like eye-opening and they're like, oh, okay, I fluctuate all the time. Then that's absolutely fine. Yeah, I completely agree. I think some people can be really rational with it and that's fine. Other people, if it really impacts your entire day, maybe just take a step back for it. Um, I see that same thing. And a lot of people might have heard that you can get away with increasing your calories slightly at a certain time of the month. Is that true? And how much can you actually get away with? Okay, so the research shows that in your luteal phase, your basal metabolic rate will increase by about 8 to 16%. And this just depends on various things. Like some people won't get much of an increase and some people will get more of an increase. And in real terms, that's like obviously depends how much you weigh, but it's usually about 100 to 200 calories. So it's, I mean, it's not loads, but it's quite a nice little thing. Like you could have like a bag of Maltesers or an ice cream or something like that you fancy. Because often this is the time when women sort of fall off the dieting bandwagon as well. And they're like, oh, all I want to do is eat chocolate. Cool. Well, you can have like, 200 calories worth of chocolate a day during that week if that's going to make you happy if that's going to make you adhere to the diet or what i think is better instead of having this almost like it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy of i'm going to feel awful this week so i'm just going to start eating more judge it on how you feel and i think one every woman is different two every cycle for every woman could be different so there's there seems to be a bit of a theme of like advising people on how to diet around their menstrual cycle how to train around their menstrual cycle as if we're all the same 
and you could just tell that you need to train this you know this week at a high volume and this week at a low volume and you need to eat this much at this time and actually one week that you'll be less insulin sensitive you should eat less carbohydrates and you can get all sciencey about it but it doesn't matter like if you're someone who really struggled with your menstrual cycle and maybe it's so painful you can't even train for a couple of days then you just need to work around that and do whatever yeah. you can and and speak to your coach about it and say okay well maybe i could get in an extra session on my quote-unquote good week where i don't feel too hormonal and i'm not in pain and then on that week maybe i just do walking that week and that's yeah. absolutely fine but they also might find that one one week they're like huh i was just going to walk but actually i didn't feel that it's hit me that hard this week so i'm going to go to the gym and i think just playing it by what you actually feel as opposed to I don't know, like a preconceived notion of what you should feel. Yeah, definitely. I really like the way you put that and how you sort of specified that it's completely individual because some people, they might not find that it affects them and therefore they can just crack on with fat loss and they might actually see a bit more progress with fat loss because of that slight increase in metabolic rate and that can work to their advantage. So it's something that you know, like you said, it can be a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy where people know that this happens and they're like, oh no, I'm going to get really hungry. It's coming up to my cycle and it can be counterproductive. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So say someone has gone through the fat loss process and they're looking to get out of a deficit and maintain the progress that they've made. How would you recommend somebody actually go about that? So for like a maintenance phase, yeah so they've like done their fat loss process and they're at a body composition which they want to sustain and it's not extreme what could they do to sustain that okay so this is the most important part of dieting that most people forget and i think that's true on personal trainers part but it's also true on a client's part so you'll often get clients who are like oh great i've reached my body composition goals thank you so much see you later off i go and what tends to happen with those clients is they put the weight back on and they come back in a couple of months what would be great is that if they would stay with you for maybe even a couple of months just to make sure you can instill the habits in them and the ways of eating that means that they will be able to maintain that weight because maintenance is hard in some ways dieting is easier because you've got a clear-cut goal whereas when you get to maintenance sometimes people need a different goal so maybe that's performance-based just to keep them on track and to keep them working towards something. And it can be quite a hard mindset shift when your progress has always been the scales going down and now it's maintaining. And a couple of things about the scales as well is when you want to maintain your weight and you move your calories up to maintenance calories, you might see a jump up on the scale and don't let this freak you out because it's probably a bit of um, food volume water retention because you've maybe got more carbohydrate sores don't immediately think oh my god i've put on weight i'm gonna have to diet again like give your time give your body time to settle and the other point is that as you were dieting down you fluctuated in weight when you stay at maintenance you will still fluctuate in weight even though you're eating your maintenance calories so that's a few points and also it will probably take you a little while to exactly find your maintenance because as we've been talking about the whole way through like it's not an exact science and it yeah so i the one thing i wouldn't do though which a lot of people do is they're like okay i've dieted down i was on 1500 calories i'm just going to go back to this total daily energy expenditure calculator and calculate my maintenance you have way more information now than that calculator so what i would do is just slowly increase your calories okay maybe it's 1700 for the first week you're still losing a little bit okay maybe it's 1800 okay that seems about right there's your maintenance calories rather than going back to quite a generic calculator um and in terms of maintaining that again like i can't say how important this is in fact in research a successful diet is judged by how like if they come back in six months and you've maintained that weight loss that's success so if you've put it back on it's not um so dieting success is about maintaining your weight loss and it's going to be things like making sure all of the habits that you've been practicing to lose weight you keep up on top of like let's say that you became much more active like stay more active make sure you're still going to the gym all the things that really helped you lose weight 
will help you maintain weight. And hopefully during that process, you've sort of fallen in love with training and being active and feeling how good it feels to get out every morning, go for a walk or to go to the gym or to see the amazing things that your body can do. And hopefully then you maintain it. Yeah, definitely. I think that was a great explanation. And like you said, I think being process focused helps massively with maintenance, making sure that throughout the process of fat loss, you know why things are happening, like why you're losing fat because you're in a calorie deficit so that you know how to reverse that process. I think being educated throughout the process helps massively and having that support afterwards, like you said, um, and also, I think it's important to remember that maintenance is a bit of a sliding scale. It's not like a fixed number. So it can change over time as well. Yeah, absolutely. And if your lifestyle changes, like one of my clients just moved to America and there's like nowhere to walk. There's like no, there's no sidewalks or there's no pavement. <laughs> and, and so like her step count's gone down massively. So her calorie needs have gone down quite a lot as yeah. well. And as, as much as like we'd want to work around these things, sometimes lifestyle changes, maybe you get a new job where you're not w- walking around the gym floor anymore, you're actually sat in an office. That's going to make a big difference as well. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for joining us today, Emma. Where can people find you if they're looking for you on social media? You are very welcome and thank you for having me. My social media is at ESG Fitness on everything, really. So yeah, that's the best place to find me. Cool. Thank you so much for today. It was a really helpful podcast and I think people will really benefit from that. Thank you for listening guys and I will see you in the next one.